Welcome to episode 24 of a Mental Health by TalkLink. Here's what's coming up. People who come for a hypnosis are often coming to be unhypnotized. They're already in a state of hypnosis about something, so they're following patterns, a certain belief system they've gotten stuck into the groove of. In hypnosis, we can kind of take it back. Hi. I'm Rowan, and today we're speaking with Georgina Mitchell of Hip Focus Hypnotherapy. Georgina is a clinical hypnotherapist and counsellor with over 10 years of experience. Today's podcast is brought to you by TalkLink, an online directory based in Australia and launching in April this year. TalkLink lists mental health practitioners like psychotherapists, psychologists and counsellors. Users can search for a mental health practitioner for free by applying filters for things that are important to them like a particular focus area or experience in a specific treatment type. Users can even see a short video of the therapist to decide whether or not it's someone that they'd like to connect with. If you're a mental health professional and you'd like to get your name out there or would like to grow your business, you can sign up at talklink.com.au forward slash get hyphen listed. Or you can send an email to hey at talklink.com.au if you'd like to know more. Okay, let's dive in. Okay, uh, well, my name is Georgina Mitchell, and I'm a clinical hypnotherapist and counsellor, and my practice is located in Mentone. It's called Hip Focus Therapies, and I've been in this practice for probably coming up to seven years now, and I, I work on my own in, in private practice, and uh, I primarily work with people with some kind of anxiety disorder. That's probably the, the, the most uh, common issue I see people for, but I also see it people for a broad range of issues from weight loss to wanting to stop smoking to I've even had a couple of people who've come to me to try and um, remember where they've left an item you know that they've uh, they've misplaced so there's a range of things that people will will think of uh, seeing a hypnotherapist about I see children about issues like uh, bedwetting or uh, nail biting and um, uh, some school refusal as well which is an increasingly uh, common issue sorry school, school refusal school refusal yeah just a, kind of an anxiety-based issue where, where kids, um, you know, don't want to go to school and, you know, the parents are in an ongoing battle with them to try and get them back into the, the school system. So, so yeah, there's a, a range of uh, issues that, that people come in and see. What's the most extreme thing that you've had to use hypnotherapy with? Um, let me see. I guess that some, some phobias can be quite extreme and can be, quite debilitating. Panic disorders are, are quite de debilitating for people as well. Um, there's some unusual phobias that, that people have that you know uh, wouldn't uh, bother most of us, but for whatever reason, some people have, have uh, known of people who've had a, a phobia that has been passed down from, from parent to child. Um, uh, so yeah, there's a whole range of issues, but I guess the, the most extreme things are, are perhaps uh, yeah, the things that are, are, are really debilitating people in their, their lives, which is maybe panic disorders, uh, you know, it's preventing people from leaving their home or, yeah, so that the world begins to shrink around them as they, they try to avoid the, the discomfort that's being generated by the internal experience that they're having. Is there like a, a particular case study you can think of to maybe just walk us through what a typical process might look like in terms of the, the therapy could you like think of mr x or mrs x and how does it work what do they come to see you with and what do you do to them and then how recovered are they yeah 
Um, well, there's there's a, a saying amongst therapists that the thing is often uh, not the thing, or often the, the thing is never the thing. You know, so often the thing that people present with at the beginning, after a bit of discovery, it turns out to be something else underneath that. So sometimes people might come and see me, for example, for for weight loss, but then that will, you know, after a bit of discovery about where the the eating issues and so on came from there'll be an underlying issue that's been the driver for the, the eating and eating habit. Well, I've had people who were, were basically confined to, to their home um, and I've worked with them on desensitizing them, I guess, to the experience of, of leaving their home and going back out into the world. So uh, some of these people had started off with uh, anxiety and then the anxiety had developed into full-blown panic disorder. And um, so basically what, what my process with the client is I, I invite them to see me. Sometimes I will go and see a client in their home if that's necessary, but usually they'll come and see me in my rooms or at the moment via telehealth as we're doing here today. So the first session I usually devote to a bit of discovery and for a hypnotherapist discovery is about understanding what it is that the client wants to change in their life, what they want to be different and also listening to their language language around the issue that they're they're having a problem with because language is very important in hypnotherapy so that that session is about building rapport and building trust with the the client and understanding from their perspective what the the problem is and how they'd like it to change because often we make assumptions about what people would like to get out of it we might think you know somebody's got a, you know a panic disorder or they'd probably love to go traveling around the world but for them the change that they want to see might be that they just want to be able to to go to the local shopping center without feeling you know that that, that sense of that panic attack coming on so it's really important to understand what the change is that that person wants to to see in their life and to listen to their language because when we then to, uh, start to design a program for that for that client we want to use their own language and their own terminology so that it's really relatable to them during the hypnosis uh, component of the, the session. So uh, if somebody coming to me with a panic disorder, and sometimes there, there can be a, a link between two disorders. I'm thinking of a client specifically now who had a panic disorder and IBS. So that meant that they were afraid to, to go out of the house in case they, they couldn't get to a bathroom on time, basically. And they feel panicky if they felt they were in a situation, if they were stuck in a queue or if they you know, they're, they're in an unexpected situation and the bathrooms were closed when they didn't expect them to be. So the, the result of that was that they ended up kind of confining themselves to home and avoiding any situation where they couldn't you know predict 100% what was going to happen every step of the way when they were out. Sorry, uh, just for our listeners, so IBS is irritable bowel syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for them, it was all about discovering, um, you know, how, how that issue came about for them and how the process worked for them because everybody's got their own uh, process of anxiety or, or panic. You know, that there are similarities between, uh, between everybody, but, but it's when you're working with somebody, it's good to understand what their specific process is, how the... The issue starts for them so we often start breaking down you know exactly how the, the experience unfolds for them you know does it begin where does it begin in the body and you know is it a hot or cold feeling you know and just really identifying exactly what goes on for them when the 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 issue starts to kick off for them and uh identifying the different triggers for it and um 
and then working on a, a process of desensitizing them to, to those triggers. So often with that, with something like that, with that particular person, we worked on um, a lot of the, the fear that was generating the, the physical discomfort because something like IBS can often be, be triggered or caused by, by stress and anxiety. So we wanna lower the stress and anxiety levels and become and allow people to become comfortable in their own body and to have some, some tools which give them some self-soothing mechanisms. So with, um, we, we do that, part of that we do as part of therapy and then it leads into a hypnosis uh, session where uh, we get them into a nice relaxed state of focus and when they're in that nice relaxed state of focus, we open them up to, to different ideas about how they can relax their, their body. And, it, and that can often be done using a metaphor uh, or a direct suggestion. So a metaphor for somebody who's having issues with their uh, digestive system might be along the lines of, you know, imagining that they're taking a soothing medicine and that medicine is soothing the body and, and um, healing. And then, uh, we, we go through a very detailed process with that and then let them imagine themselves in the future no longer having that problem and you know living their life comfortably and then um kind of re repeating that process until their mind becomes used to um creating that it's like a future memory you know that, that they're creating for themselves so um, we, we go through uh, that kind of process and then uh, we try to test it out a little bit to see how comfortable they are if they if they want to to go somewhere and do something, you know, where, where are the levels of comfort? If they imagine uh, the next day that they need to go somewhere, what their levels of comfort are about going and doing that, you know, and how effective the session has been. So I'm not sure if that's explain, explaining it very well, but I, I think probably explaining how the process of hypnosis work will be a little bit clearer. So with hypnosis, what we want to do is get somebody into that focused state of absorption where the, the conscious mind uh, begins to become relaxed and almost go to the side a little bit. And then we want to introduce another set of, of ideas and perceptions into the mind so that somebody can reevaluate what's going on, what it's going on for them in their internal experiences. So it's a, a little bit like, if, if our mind is like a crossword puzzle, it's a little bit like a very cryptic crossword puzzle. And as we're going through life, we're, we're filling out answers and the correct answer allows us to fill in the, the next part. But sometimes we get stuck in a puzzle because somewhere along the way, we've written in an incorrect word and it seemed to work with a few of the other cross sections of that crossword. And it's only until we get to the last word that we realize the answer isn't correct. So what we wanna do with hypnosis is go back and review, you know, the belief systems that we've put in place throughout our life and the, um, the habits that we've created and go and, and often when we do do create beliefs and habits we never question them again we just accept that that's the way it is but with hypnosis we can go back and review and say oh if i took this word out of the puzzle and replaced it with this word somehow the rest of the crossword starts to, to fall into place a little better for me does that kind of make sense but when you're speaking to someone in hypnosis looking through these words in their crossword puzzle are they are they like they're not conscious obviously because they're hypnotized but can they talk back to you and are they level-headed like what state are they like when you're having these chats with them while they're in hypnosis absolutely absolutely i mean not all hypnosis will involve an interaction but but often um an interaction is quite important in hypnosis just to see 
where people are in their process. So sometimes in a, an interaction in hypnosis, you might ask people to, to move a finger to indicate yes, or um, another finger to indicate no, or you might actually have a verbal interaction with them. But uh, what, what we wanna do, sometimes we give people a set of tasks to do in their, in their mind. So you might get people into that, that focus state and we'll get them to imagine a scenario where maybe that in their, their, their mind, they can start to identify what the issue is for them. And then we can ask them to, to go through a series of tasks. For example, you could create a scenario where you, you get somebody to imagine going into a room and on that room, there are shelves surrounding them and on the shelves are a lot of unresolved emotions or um, uh, limiting beliefs or you know negative perceptions they have about themselves you know that maybe they're, they're not good enough or that um, and, and uh, that is probably the most common thing that people have a belief that they're not good enough um, that they uh, don't deserve something they feel guilty uh, they feel shame about something so we, we get them in a state of hypnosis to identify all of those items that have kept them stuck in the habit that they want to get rid of and then we can ask them to collect them and then guide them through a process of getting rid of those, those items. You know, everything that they're ready to get rid of, they can dispose of them. But it's kind of, it, it helps people to identify that something is maybe an unresolved emotion that, that's triggering a habit in them. So it sounds like you're, you're guiding them to create a visual image of different beliefs and thoughts and then visually getting them to interact with those objects like jars on a shelf to destroy or change them is that right that's one one method i mean there, there are so many different ways of approaching that that's one uh, uh, very common piece of imagery that's used in in hypnosis is to to have a scenario where people can kind of sort through things in their mind and uh, identify oh this is what's been keeping me stuck and it you know it could be something you know a memory from the past or an experience that they've had that they realize it has triggered a belief system and created this, this kind of web that is, uh, has kept them you know, caught in an issue. It's interesting you talk about memories. Do people under hypnosis have a higher access to memories than we would in our normal conscious state? I think, well, memories can be a fairly controversial thing because there's a, a, a school of thought that says every time we recall a memory, we recall a slightly different version of it because our memories are influenced by everything that's happened since that event occurred. So, you know, the way we recall something now is influenced by all the experiences we've had, you know, since, since the original event. But what um, happens in hypnosis is that the imagination can become very fluid. So you, you, you tend to be able to recall, it, it might not be an accurate uh, memory of what actually happened, but it will help the person recall the feeling that was created by that experience or the emotion that was created by that experience. And when that emotion is recalled, then we can work on resolving it. And that can be through uh, you know, a process in hypnosis. It can be a guided process where you give people suggestions about, you know, are you, are you ready to get rid of that? You can you know, throw it in the fire. And sometimes it can be a process where some forgiveness may be required in, in order to let it go. Um, but a, a lot of each each therapist will have their their own you know a whole range of protocols that they can incorporate and modify to suit the client that that they're with. 
And that will often be influenced um, by the conversation that you have with the clients leading into hypnosis, where you're sort of identifying, is this person a visual person? Are they a kinesthetic person? You know, do, are they more of an audio person? And you, you design the, the protocol that you're working on with them according to, to uh, the, the, the person that you have in front of you. So it's quite a, a tailored process. And it takes a bit of uh, experience to kind of tune into that client and identify you know, if, if people uh, use phrases like, uh, you know, I, I see, or I am, you know, I, you know, if you, you can tell by their language that they're, they're visual, that they're imagining things, then you'll definitely use a lot of visualization in their process. For a lot of people, and myself included, I'm, I don't particularly visualize things, I'm, I more get a sense of them. So if I, if somebody says to me, uh, visualize something, I, I'll immediately start thinking of, you know, having that internal dialogue, oh, I can't really visualize it. I'm, I don't think I'm doing this right. But if, if somebody says, imagine, then that, that creates a different experience for me because then I can start creating a sense in my imagination of what they're, they're talking about. Is that one of the things that differentiates a good hypnotherapist from a bad one? Uh, I personally believe so. I mean, the, a, a hypnotherapist is a little bit like uh, a musician you know there are lots of different styles and different talent levels and uh but you know one style is equally as effective as another so there, there could be a number of different approaches so i think a, a good hypnotherapist is a, is a fairly intuitive person and I, I, actually i believe that applies to all therapy quite intuitive and uh to be able to to really listen to to a client and uh and you know, tune into to their perspective without getting over um, uh, involved in it. You know, you have to be able to to stand away from the client, and but also uh, be intuitive about about what that client needs in in the moment. In stage hypnotherapy, where you've got um, basically a, a show person standing on the stage guiding people to do you know silly things like cluck like chickens, um, one of the things they always do is they make you forget what you were suggested to do during your session. Is that part and parcel with what a hypnotherapist would typically do in a clinical context? Would you make people forget or do they tend to have issues remembering what was discussed or dug into or do they walk away perfectly lucid remembering exactly what was covered? Oh, they, they walk away, yeah. Uh, well, they don't. They might not remember everything in session because you can become relaxed in in uh, in session but they walk away perfectly lucid they don't walk away having lost any any memories don't erase any memories sometimes when you're, you're getting people into a state of trance there are a couple of inductions where you might get people to count backwards until they forget the numbers or something like that um but, but that doesn't mean that they won't remember the the numbers afterwards but stage hypnotherapy is quite distinct from um from clinical hypnotherapy, there's uh, there are different techniques used, and also there's a you know I'm not a stage hypnotherapist, so I'm by no means an expert, but there are certain um, techniques that they they use in order to to pick people from the audience. They don't just choose anybody from the audience. They yeah. they have a, a lot of methods to identify people who are very suggestible. So some people are more suggestible um, than than other people. You know, some people respond more to advertising than than other people but a stage a hypnotist a hypnotist has great skill at using very subtle language that he's giving very subtle embedded commands to people and he notices in the audience who's following the, the commands and some people are completely oblivious and they they're not even aware that they're being asked to do anything and other people may not be aware that they're being given a command but they're still following it anyway so they're very suggestible 
people and the, you know they get chosen and then they get narrowed down on the on the stage is, is that basically a field of neuro-linguistic programming nlp that was used to be really big a couple of decades ago wasn't it yeah yeah it's still it's still um relatively popular i think in uh, in the corporate world i think nlp and, and a lot of uh, hypnotherapists train in nlp as well um but I guess uh, there there are some connections there. I think stage hypnotherapy predates NLP uh, quite a bit, but NLP was an offshoot of of hypnosis. It was based on the, um, uh, there was Richard Bandler and I've forgotten the other guy's name, um, but they uh, went around different uh, therapists and and, uh, people who specialized in hypnosis, particularly Milton Erickson. And they kind of uh, tried to take the essence of, of, what those people put into practice and they they put it together and, and created NLP um, from what they learned. Although um, I think there's a, a famous quote from Milton Erickson saying they uh, they got the shell but they didn't get the the nut of what he was uh, of what he does. So um, so NL, NLP is uh, a lot to do with the language and uh, you know directing or, or uh, redirecting people's thoughts, reframing, helping people reframe things in their mind. But yeah, I, I have trained a little bit in NLP, but I don't uh, use it a tremendous amount in my practice. You talked a little bit about some people being more suggestible than others. Do you ever have clients that come and you try and get them to enter a state of trance and it's just not working? Often, yeah. There's a doctor in Stanford in America and he in the studies that he's done, I think he says maybe two thirds of people are hypnotizable and a, and a third are, are more difficult to, to hypnotize or can be hypnotized. Um, it, it, often it depends on how people perceive hypnosis and what their expectations are. Some people think that hypnosis means that you're going to go into a deep trance and lose awareness of everything and then you're going to wake up at the end a transformed person. But that really isn't um, how hypnosis usually works in therapy. We don't really need a very deep trance for the, the therapy to be effective. But but some people do go into a deep trance. I can do the same process with three people and they'll all have a completely different experience, you know, based on, on, the, on that one process. But they don't need to be in a, a very, very deep uh, state of trance for, for the therapy to work. Is it fair to say the deeper trance you can induce the more effective you might be no i don't i don't think so at all i mean it, it may be a more um uh, a, a more uh, traditional experience for the, for the person but the therapy really is dependent on the rapport that you build and the trust that you have with that client and them being sufficiently um uh, in that that state of focus to allow the the critical mind the white noise that we create in the, in the mind to quieten down and allow another perspective to come in. And it doesn't mean that, that it'll always change their perspective, but it will allow them to say, oh, there are more than one way of, of looking at this problem, or you know, I do have other options available to me. Um, that, that's really what we're trying to, to help a client become aware of, that they're, they do maybe have more options than they realized, and they, they don't need to be as stuck as they have been. So it's really creating insight for people. It's opening it opening a, a doorway to, to let a bit more light in, basically. Do you basically drop your guard when you're induced? Um, I'm not sure. Well, if anything threatening were to happen or if I was to ask anybody for their bank account details, their conscious mind would come in pretty quickly and say, no, that's not what I'm, I'm here for. 
but I think when when they know that that what is being said to them is within the the uh, the realm of of what they wanted to work on, then they're very open to it. I think you become more open to suggestions. You you know that you're you're just being shown different viewpoints or given access to different viewpoints, but you're not being forced in any way to to do anything. So it's not like you could um, induce a police officer that's pulled you over for speeding and convince them under trance that they should give you a warning. There, there may be some people that do that, but I've never come across uh, anybody who could uh, who could do that, or it would you know it wouldn't be an ethical thing to to do anyway. That's not something you know that that I would ever even consider trying to to do because I'm working within an ethical code of of practice. But I I doubt that that would be uh, possible. Yeah, I doubt, I mean you might be able to influence someone. You might be able to come up with a. a, a uh, you know, a, a use of language that might be influential, but yeah. you wouldn't, uh, that, that mind control thing, I think I would be uh, very surprised if anybody had come up. Otherwise, I think uh, hypnotists would be ruling the world quite right now. Maybe they are. <laughs> I, I think that's why hypnotherapy is such an interesting thing because there is such a, um, there's such a, a big difference between stage and um, therapeutic hypnosis. And on stage hypnosis, it's really pushed to the absolute extreme in order to make it a more watchable, entertainable show. Um, so you talked about um, some of the preconceptions that people have, no doubt from TV shows or, or at least the street understanding of stage hypnosis. What do you think are some of the incorrect ideas that uh, some of your patients may have when they walk into the room in, in terms of what they would expect might happen that just aren't true? Um, I think the the most common one, and unfortunately, I think this has been fed a little bit by parts of the of the profession, or people even working outside the profession, but using the, the title, is that it's an instant magic wand quick fix. Um, so sometimes people think that that they can walk in with a you know a whole suitcase full of of lifelong issues, and that you can just put them under and say, you know, make all of that go away immediately. And unfortunately, that's not how, how it works. There are some things that, that you know, if somebody can have a dramatic breakthrough uh, during a session, but you can't guarantee that that, that will happen in, in, in a session for anyone. So I would suggest that to be wary of anybody who's promising, you know, pay me a lot of money for one session and I'll fix all of your, your, uh, your problems. I would be very skeptical about that personally. But uh, I think some people do have dr dramatic breakthroughs, but uh, it's uh, not something that you can predict with 100% accuracy. Something where if somebody is really ready for a change, if somebody, for example, wants to stop smoking and they've really decided, yeah, now I'm ready. This is, you know, I've reached that stage in my life when I'm ready. Hypnotherapy can be a very fast, effective tool in, in, with something specific like that. Um, or, or it can be very quick... Um, with resolving a phobia as well. If somebody comes in with a phobia, I would say eight times out of 10, you can resolve that quite quickly with, with them within you know, a couple of sessions. But it depends, but if they have other issues alongside that phobia, they might they may find that they, they need more work, you know. So the thing is never the thing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, but yeah, something is very specific that somebody's ready to do. It hypnotherapy it can be the, the thing that really um, consolidates everything that you need in order to, to make that decision and really helps you overcome a belief system 
that, that may have been fed by marketing. Like with cigarettes, a lot of people find it very difficult to give up because we're, we're constantly being told how difficult it is and how addictive cigarettes are. And, uh, you know, I, I think in, in a way that's been reverse psychology by the tobacco industry is to say, you know, that, that we'll get you in. And it's almost worked in their favor that, you know, once you're in, it's like leaving the mafia, you can't, you can't get out, you know? So, uh, but if people, you know, when they, they, um, we, we kind of reframe that and, and you know, shift the mindset a little bit. People find it surprisingly easy to, to work through the cravings that they found, found impossible to, to deal with before. I wonder if there was any element of intentionality when they built, because I mean, a huge amount of money has been poured into marketing tobacco. I wonder if there was any part of like knowing knowing what human nature is. If we make it seem really hard, we'll actually immediately cut off X percent of people. From even trying to approach it, yeah, I, th- I wouldn't. I wouldn't be at all surprised. I don't know for sure, but it's uh, a pretty effective way of uh, retaining a lot of your uh, your customers to tell them, well, once you, you've started, don't even bother trying to stop because it's just too difficult. So uh, you know, if, I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they realised that they could use it to, you know, to benefit themselves at, at some point. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're speculating and just guessing here, but it, it is an interesting place to go. Um, Okay, you talked about inductions as well, um, hypnotic inductions, which is basically the process of putting someone into a trance. What kinds of inductions exist and what do you use? Well, in therapy, uh, we tend to use longer induction processes typically. With, with an initial client, you usually use a little bit of relaxation because it's a, a new experience for them if they've never experienced it before. So you'd help them relax the body and the mind. And then an induction process will usually take people down through through sort of levels. So there's a lot of counting down and giving that suggestion that you're going down deeper into your, your um, you know, below that, that conscious level. So you're going kind of deeper down. And that, that, that imagery seems to be very effective at letting the mind get focused and letting the outside world fade into the background. So for some, some people describe hypnosis as being like a, a guided daydream. So what you want to do is get people so focused on, on what you're saying and their breathing and maybe focused on a, a, you know, a point in the room or on the ceiling where they're, they're just becoming so focused that everything else fades into the background. So the passing cars or the, the sound of a dog barking starts to fade into the background. And then you want to get the thoughts the, that interrupt to, to fade into the background. So, you know, we've always got that, that white noise going on in our head and we've always got, you know, the thoughts saying, you know, what am I doing? How long is this gonna last? What am I doing? Am I doing this right? You know, all of the, you know, that chatter in the mind. We wanna give suggestions to help the, that fade into the background and just work with an open mind basically, because once we get below those levels, um, there's a, a very calm kind of open space that we can that we can work in where people can think more clearly. They can sort of put thoughts out and lay them out and start really uh, re-examining them and reorganizing their thoughts. And you know, it's like the, again the crossword puzzle. Puzzle. You take out that one incorrect correct word that you you've put in at some point and realize, oh, now I see the answers to to so many other other things in this puzzle. So really. Uh, some people will, when they, a client has been with them a couple of times, you can kind of give clients suggestions that now that you're, you're realizing this is a safe experience for you. So the next time we do this, 
it doesn't need to take this long. You can, you know what to do. You've learned, this is a skill that you're learning. So the next time we do it, you'll find that it's easier and faster for you to, to get into this state. And that, that's typically, you know, what, what you would do with a client that you were seeing uh, more than once. Yeah, which is most clients, you know, they, they do come more than once. Some clients use, or some therapists use a rapid induction or a shock induction which is something where, you know, that, that would be something that you'd see a street hypnotist do where they go up and you know, they might reach out to shake someone's hand. And as they do, they'll pull their hand and the person will go into hypnosis. And that that's just, the, you know, pretty much what the description is. The, the mind is shocked temporarily. And in, the, in that window, when the, the mind doesn't quite know what to do, you, you give them the suggestion to go into a sleep state or a, a hypnosis state and the mind accepts that, that suggestion in, in the moment. So that, that uh, shock induction is then followed on with a lot of suggestions to help the person get into a deeper state of hypnosis. But again, that, that's done with somebody who wants that experience. So it doesn't work so well if somebody doesn't want to be, to be hypnotized, but if somebody's open to being hypnotized, something like that uh, will work well on, on you know 70% of people, I guess. So you could even use that snap induction in a clinical context. It can be, and some people do, because for some people, there's also a thing in hypnosis called a convincer, which is to, to convince people this is real, this is working, this is working for you, and it, you know about getting the the belief system on board. And for that reason, some therapists use that type of technique because people feel something happen, they feel it happening so suddenly, and they think, oh, you know, well, well that is real, something really did happen, and then that the belief system is tuned in. And once somebody believes something, then it's so much easier to to work yeah. with them because they're very open to every suggestion you know and we see that you know that's how cults work and all that you know when somebody believes something or you know the people who support uh, you know certain um political leaders and so on once they start believing in that person they it's very difficult to get somebody to unbelieve something you know once they they believe it unless they they're they're ready to change that belief themselves so yeah, a convincer is uh, a technique that's often used in hypnosis just to, to let people say, yeah, you can, this is something that's real, that's happening, it's an experience that you, you've, tangibly, uh, you've tangibly experienced it, so you can believe in this now. Isn't it ironic to use a convincer to enforce how effective it is that you can be hypnotized, to then deal with other convincers in people's lives and break them out? Like how difficult, isn't that slightly ironic? Yeah. It, it is. And the, the thing I often say to people is that people who come for hypnosis are, are often coming to be unhypnotized. Huh. So they're, they're already in a state of hypnosis about something. So they're following patterns and a certain belief system, you know, they've kind of gotten stuck into the groove of. And in hypnosis, we can kind of take it back, you know, and get them out of that groove and say, OK, now which way do you want to go in your life? You've been, you've been in this groove for so long that you've forgotten that there are maybe other ways to, get, to go. But that's, we're often hypnotized in a lot of the behaviors we do. How many people wake up every morning and say, you know, I'm not going to drink today. And then by the end of the day, they're opening a bottle of wine. Or how many people, you know, say, I'm, I'm not going to eat junk food and then find themselves driving through McDonald's. It's almost like going into that trance state that's created by habits when we go into autopilot. Our brain really loves a habit. And once it establishes a habit, um, the, the cognitive, the conscious thinking part of the brain, the brain can kind of tune out and we just follow, you know, in, in autopilot doing things. And then afterwards we think, oh, what did I do that for? I said I wasn't going to do that today. But it's because the, the habit has taken over. So sometimes hypnosis is about 
on hypnotizing people. Do you think it's effective in the long term in your experience? Um, yeah, absolutely. I often get people uh, who uh, contact me. I had somebody uh, not long ago who sent me a, a message on Instagram to say, uh, you know, I don't know what you did. We, we just we did some uh, sessions uh, together because they were having uh, issues with weight control and they wanted to, to get pregnant. And, and she said, you know, I didn't really think it was working at the time, but, you know, my habits just sort of changed from that point forward. And a mm -hmm. year later, she had lost the weight that she, she wanted and she was where she wanted to be, feeling healthy and feeling the way she wanted to be. But I have had a client, one of, one of my uh, favorite stories is a client who came to me and um, the, the second week she came, she said, oh, I think we need to start again. I don't think uh, that that worked last week. So we went over what she described to me the first week and I said, oh, are you still doing this and the habit one of the habits she wanted to change was that when she was driving home every evening she was going through the drive-through of a fast food place and buying food and then going home and cooking dinner and she you know obviously that's not a healthy habit so I said okay so you're still going through the drive-through and she went oh actually no I haven't done that uh, since uh, since I saw you but she you know because she hadn't had an internal struggle about it she didn't realize that she'd really changed anything she was just sort of driving home without even thinking of, of running that habit process so sometimes it can work like that, that the change feels so natural that people almost need to ha have it pointed out to them where they were before the change happened to realize like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. That's amazing. Yeah, it can be quite a subtle change. Yeah. On your website, you actually talk about weight loss specifically, and you have this um, thing called a virtual gastric band. Can you tell us what that is? That, that's a process that it originated in Spain and then a lady from the UK, Sheila Granger, uh, took up the, the process and she kind of repackaged it, which happens a lot in, uh, in uh, the therapy world now. Uh, different um, techniques are they're tweaked and they're rebranded and, and so on. But what that is about is for people who are having difficulty controlling their appetite. Um, so sometimes... Uh, you know, weight gain creeps up on people and they, they start to feel unhealthy or they might, they might have health issues. There are a lot of health issues that are associated with weight gain, you know, sleep apnea and diabetes, uh, you know, to name heart disease, to name but a few. So when, when people uh, realize that they're, they're having difficulty controlling the, the quantities that they're consuming, um, the virtual gastric band can be useful for, for people in that uh, kind of bracket who really need to, to lose weight especially for health reasons mm. but I do really stress with people that um, weight loss isn't a panacea for everything so sometimes people think if they change their body shape it will solve all their problems and they'll feel so much better and so much happier about themselves but but I, I don't uh, subscribe to that to that view I think um, it's a, there's a lot more to being happy than than simply uh, losing weight or I don't, I don't even like to say happy, you know, a lot more to, to feeling comfortable in who you are and how you are than, than simply losing weight. So the virtual gastric band, I, I usually recommend to people who uh, are, are concerned that their weight is having an, uh, an impact on their health. If people feel that, that losing weight is going to make them, them happier, then, uh, you know, I really want to have more of a discussion with them about how they think that's going to work before I got into a, a weight loss program with them, because I think it can be um quite disappointing for people and i think that's partly why we have such a a, a cycle of the the diet industry of people going through yo-yo diets is that 
people lose weight and they think, oh, now I've reached the magic number. Everything should be wonderful. And then they go straight back into the, the old eating habits because the underlying issues haven't been resolved, which are often uh, the underlying issues are often to do with self-worth or they, there's a whole realm of, of issues that need to be tackled. So there's often there's often more going on than weight loss. And that I think weight loss is probably my um, uh, classic uh, where the thing is not the thing. You know, when people come to you about weight loss, there's usually a lot more to be worked on than just calories in and calories out, which is not the, the way to uh, approach a healthy lifestyle anyway. Yeah, yeah. And then you talk, I guess, then you apply the example you described where you might get them to put those beliefs in a, in a space where they can destroy them or take them out of their life. Um, but but just to, to close out on the gastric band piece, you're seeding the concept in their mind that their eating capacity is limited without actually physically changing their eating capacity. I mean, that's, a gastric band constricts the size of your stomach. So you're creating that concept via hypnosis in someone's mind to limit their eating. Is that right? That's right. You're giving, you're giving the, the suggestion that they're going to be satisfied with smaller amounts of food and it's and planting the suggestion about eating mindfully uh eating slowly enjoying food enjoying a range of food um but uh only eating uh the, what you need basically so reducing the size of your appetite and and stop eating when you feel satisfied and uh making a distinction between uh feeling satisfied and feeling full because a lot of people eat to feel full and when you feel full, you've actually overeaten at, at that point. So it's, and often there are reasons why people want that full feeling. Often people are trying to create a feeling in order to avoid a more, you know, uncomfortable feeling. So, so that, that's something that needs to be explored as well, in my opinion. Yeah. So Georgina, we've spoken to some other, um, some other clinicians about different modalities and treatments like um, emotion-focused therapy or dialectical behavior therapy. Um, on your website, you talk about the fact that you think hypnotherapy works well in combination with other treatments. So could you talk a little bit about what sorts of treatments you think work very well with hypnotherapy? Um, well, in my practice life, I find that EFT really complements hypnotherapy. And, and it could be argued that, that when we're doing EFT tapping, that, that the person almost gets into a trance-like like state as well. Um, so that, that is a really great technique for releasing emotions, resolving emotions. And I find that people slip into hypnosis really nicely after that. So hypnosis is uh, a really great way of consolidating everything that we've done. So I like to combine different therapies like acceptance, commitment therapy, uh, tapping, and uh, then into hypnosis. One always do them all in the same session but I find that they really complement each other beautifully. And the, the language and imagery in, in that is used in acceptance uh, therapy can be used in or out of hypnosis. So it, it just, it works well. And other therapies that are incorporated into hypnosis very commonly are, are gestalt therapy, where you're, you're looking at that unfinished business and you have that internal uh, dialogue um, happening with the person, you know, with someone or something that they need to resolve something with. Uh, so gestalt is very commonly used. Solution-focused therapy is used as well, where we, um, we get somebody to kind of say, you know, what the, look at the outcomes you want, where do you want to be, how do you want to be, what will that look like, and try to get people to kind of, in their imagination, go into the future where they've already achieved everything that they want to achieve, and then think back from there, like, how did I get here, what changes did I make? Some, somehow 
you know, things fall into place, it, things become more obvious from that perspective sometimes than looking forward, you know, how am I going to climb this mountain versus looking down, you know, oh, I can see, you know, how I got how I got up here. Um, so uh, sometimes that, that just provides the perspective that people need to, to get the insight they need for change. Um, so basically any, any psychotherapy can be incorporated into, um, into hypnosis and, and hypnotherapy. It really depends on the individual in front of you. You know, the language that they use gives you clues and you say, oh yeah, I think this is a great opportunity based on what they've been saying to me, this will fit really well with some timeline therapy or some uh, timeline therapy, which is going into the future. And uh, sometimes we, we let people imagine themselves in the future achieving everything. And then we let them imagine, you know, the road that you've traveled through life and, and you know, what, what resources have, have helped you keep going and what's held you back and let them make a decision about what they're gonna keep and what they're gonna leave behind in order to, to continue on their journey. But it's combining a lot of different uh, therapies, but it really depends on the client that you're dealing with. But my, predominantly, uh, my, I use acceptance commitment therapy, EFT, and then uh, hypnosis. Georgina, how much would a consultation cost? Well, the, the initial consultation with me is 90 minutes and that's $225. And then an hour long consultation is 175. But if people end up doing multiple sessions, then I usually kind of reduce the, the, the rate uh, from four sessions onwards. So it just, yeah, so that, that's basically the, the rate at the moment. And uh, is there any uh, Medicare rebate uh, relief on that or are there any insurance policies that will cover that? Um, private health funds do cover, uh, some private health funds do cover hypnotherapy. It's important to check with your, your provider. Um, so uh, they'll, they'll give a rebate. Uh, some will only give a rebate for weight loss or, or smoking, but some others will allow you to, to use your, your extras cover for hypnosis or hypnotherapy. But it's important to check with your policy and your provider because they're an ever-moving and ever-changing um, kind of uh, uh, industry um, and for counselling uh, for people going for counselling uh, recently Medibank, um, Bupa and Police Health have all uh, agreed to, to do rebates for telehealth and counselling so it's worthwhile checking policies for that as well um, and also you know if people have uh, financial difficulties it's always worth making a phone call and and uh, seeing you know what can be negotiated as as well you know especially at times like this you know where a lot of people are are struggling and there's a, a lot of uncertainty uh, around you know it's definitely worth making a phone call and uh, and seeing what we can do it's great to hear that you're open to that sort of thing and i'm sure many other um, clinicians and professionals would be open to that too if yeah, someone absolutely. wanted to reach out and find you specifically georgina where can they reach you um, they can reach me at hipfocus.com.au, which, and I'm located in Melbourne. So it's H-Y-P-F-O-C-U-S. And uh, I'm in Mentone. Currently, I'm seeing clients via telehealth, which is very uh, effective and uh, equally as effective as seeing people in person. And uh, I'm actually enjoying that because people from further afield are able to to see me quite easily as well. I did have a couple of clients that, that used to travel quite a, a long way and now they're very comfortable with the telehealth process. Um, but my, my room is in Mentone. So once uh, the uh, restrictions are lifted, then I'll be seeing people face to face again. Georgina, thanks for your time today. You're very welcome. It's lovely to talk to you. Okay. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and a comment. We read every single one and it gives us a huge boost to keep going. 
Your reviews and comments also make these conversations more discoverable by other listeners. Thanks so much and see you again soon.